So, we are um, continuing on through Ephesians. We're uh, moving on into the next couple of verses. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3. No, we did that last time. We're doing 3 through 6 this time. Uh, Let's see. I did read this uh, interesting comment by a Catholic priest named Henry Nguyen uh, about being grateful for everything. He said, to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. One of the most important things I think that a Christian can do is recognize the importance of understanding God's blessings and our identity in Christ. Because when that happens, we are able to truly be grateful for everything. Last week, we spent some time looking at the first couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 1 where where Paul introduces himself as the writer of the letter. He lets the reader know that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ and that his position as an apostle was given to him by the will of God, by Jesus himself. He makes it clear that he's writing this letter to believers or to Christians who he called saints, who were specifically in Ephesus at the time of this letter was written. And he greets them in his traditional way by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to move on to the next few verses in Ephesians chapter 1, specifically verses 3 through 7, where Paul starts to highlight the importance of understanding God's blessings and our identity in Christ. Notice Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable, accepted in the beloved. I want to break these four verses down, and I want to look at the overflowing blessing of God. I want to look at being chosen in Christ, being adopted as sons and daughters, and finally, the purpose of God's will finally the purpose 
of God's will. I would like to offer a quick disclaimer. There's a lot packed into these four verses. And for time's sake, I'm going to touch on a lot of it, but not all of it. In addition, there are some areas of controversy, and in some cases, you may or may not agree with me. And just know that that is totally okay. You guys can take me out to lunch, barbecue preferably, and tell me all about it. I'm just kidding. Lunch only. <laughs> In all honesty, there are some topics that have had many, many books written about them. And some issues are, are just hard to understand in a sermon or two. But I want to do my best to bring a general understanding of some of those areas as we go. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, if you haven't already. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. First notice that Paul offers praise to God. He offers praise to God by acknowledging that he, God, is the one who, first, who is first blessed. One commentator said this, Praise be to, or blessed be, is used exclusively of God, Father or Son, in the New Testament to indicate the one who alone is worthy of worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise means to express adoration, especially for God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Psalm 148, 13 says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. But what does it mean to be blessed? This is one of those words that you hear all the time. Bless you. God bless you. They are blessed. You are blessed. We are blessed. We use this word all the time, especially as it relates to us having something or getting an abundance of something or overcoming some obstacle or issue in our lives. Even non-Christians will say, bless you when you sneeze. So what does it mean? The Greek word used for blessed typically is makarios, which essentially means fortunate, happy, enlightened, or lengthy. It is often used to describe when a person is happy for being in God's favor. One source defined being blessed this way. Blessedness is a spiritual state of well-being and prosperity. A deep joy, filled contentment that cannot be shaken by poverty, grief, famine, persecution, war, or any other trial or tragedy that we face in life. Notice, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul, showing gratitude to God, starts this verse by offering praise to God. Psalm 145, 21, David said, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. 
Just as David said, and just as Paul is doing, when people speak the praise of the Lord, we bless God. Our adoration of God for what he has done for us, our praise of the Lord is an expression of our gratitude. It's one of the only things that we have to offer God. And it blesses his holy name forever and ever when we give it to him. And so after Paul praises God, after Paul offers God his adoration or his gratitude, he immediately recognizes that God is the source of all blessings, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Paul says, which is the first point that I want to look at. Recognizing God as the source of all blessings. Recognizing God as the source of all blessings. Notice Psalm 115, 12 through 14. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. God is the God of all people, even those who reject him. However, to those that do not reject him, to those who have accepted his son Jesus as their savior, as their forgiver, to those who fear the Lord, he will bless. The question is, in what way does God bless his people? The first thing to notice in the, in the psalm is that it says, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. With some emphasis on the word may. This denotes that God's blessings may not include an increase in things or an increase in time or money. And the reality is we may not know the full extent of how God will bless his people until we are with him in heaven. But the fact that we get to join him in heaven is the blessing of all blessings. The fact that God has given us eternal life cannot be measured by anything our finite minds can imagine and everything else we are blessed with. Material things especially is simply to help us fulfill his will. Charles Spurgeon once said, if I had my choice of all the blessings I can conceive of, I would choose perfect conformity to the Lord Jesus or in one word, holiness. Remember, the ultimate blessing is that you are forgiven. That you are forgiven. And without that, there are no real blessings. You may have a big house, a lot of money, really, really cool cars, the most friends. But if you don't have eternal life, those earthly possessions are short-lived. And given that eternal life can only come from God himself, notice John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. God is the source of all blessings. And understanding the depth and magnitude of God's blessings is the next point that I'm going to look at. 
the depth and magnitude of God's blessings. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember, we just talked about God being the source of all blessings and eternal life being the blessing of all blessings. And then in Romans, we read that this blessing of eternal life is unbreakable. There is no power strong enough, not angels, not demons, nothing that is or will be. There is no created thing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's very difficult to understand just what it means to be blessed by God. Because everything we know and everything we have experienced in this life is temporary, breakable, and small compared to God. On earth, the diamond is considered the hardest substance found in, natu- uh, in nature. It has the highest level of Mohs hardness, grade 10. The Mohs hardness scale is used to identify the hardness of a mineral relative to its resistance to scratching, And at the top of the list is the diamond. However, despite the diamond being one of the hardest things on earth, it's not unbreakable. It's not indestructible. In fact, you can scratch steel with a diamond, but a hammer will shatter it. It's important to understand at least the best that we can that when God blesses us, it is indestructible. It cannot be broken. God's love for you has a depth and a magnitude that far exceeds anything we can imagine. And therefore, we should show our gratitude and our praise for the blessings we have received, which is the next point that I want to make. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. When you think about these words in general, it's easy to say, well, I just can't be happy all the time. But when you hear the words, after considering that God is the one who blesses you, and when he does that, it's indestructible. Then you start to think, this is awesome. And you start to feel a little bit more joyful. God has given me eternal life. No one can take that away from me ever, no matter how hard they try. There is literally nothing stronger or more powerful than God's love. But what about the Christians who are suffering from illness or suffering with an injury? What about the Christians who live in the neighborhoods that only get to water their lawns on even days? What about their suffering? How are they supposed to rejoice always? And the answer is because God loves us and he blessed us with eternal life. I'm not saying that it's easy to deal with life, especially when it's hard. 
especially when it's as hard as it is for a lot of us sometimes. But notice, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We as Christians have access to God through prayer. And we should be on the phone with him nonstop. Even in the car going to the grocery store. You can't get a ticket for being on your God phone. And despite our physical situation or our material situation, we should give thanks for our spiritual situation because eternal life is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. God is the source of all blessings and especially eternal life, which is permanent. And therefore, we should show gratitude and praise as often as possible for his overflowing blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Next, look at Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We are chosen in Christ this is one of those topics I mentioned earlier as being difficult to fully grasp. But I'm going to try and give you a simple understanding as we explore the concepts of predestination, God's sovereign plan, his purpose for our lives, and embracing our identity as chosen and set apart by God. And again, if you're well studied in this area, I implore you to recognize one thing and that is that we cannot know everything perfectly about God. He is the creator and we are the created. And therefore, by nature of who we are, we are limited to understanding only what he has revealed to us in the Bible. And just to be clear, I do believe in predestination and the sovereignty of God. Meaning I believe that he is all-knowing. And he is in control despite my lack of understanding. And so let's start by first looking at what predestination means. Essentially, it means God's predetermination of all things. Meaning that God has already decided on the purpose of everything, including you and me. And whether we would accept his son, Jesus Christ, is our Lord and Savior, as our forgiver. And this is where the topic starts to cause people trouble. Because, in essence, if God chose us to be saved, then that implies that he chose others not to be saved. And that is a very difficult thing to grasp, being that God is a loving God, right? If he loves us, then why not save us all? And as I stated earlier, we have to look at the Bible to get the best possible understanding about this. Ephesians 1.11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This passage which we'll explore in more detail in a later sermon, affirms the idea of being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Meaning if it was God's will that decided our fate, 
In this case, that we would obtain an inheritance. Which is, we all know an inheritance is something passed down when someone dies. In this case, as Christians, we inherited eternal life. And again, that was decided by God according to this passage. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. Notice in this passage, to those who are the called. In simple terms, the idea of being called means to be chosen by God for a purpose. One source said we are called by God to salvation. In fact, the Greek word translated church in the New Testament means a called out assembly. The call of salvation involves conforming us to the image of his son. His election and call to salvation are part of an eternal plan for us that guarantees our inheritance in heaven. Notice Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And so again, our verse today starts off with, Just as he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, which makes it clear that God did choose us in Christ and not necessarily the other way around because God has a sovereign plan and purpose for our lives, which is the next point. Notice Psalm 57, 2. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. One source defines divine sovereignty as God's all-encompassing rule over the entire universe. This would have to be a requirement to predestination. Otherwise, it would just be a guess. And that is not the case with God, who performs all things for me. So what is the obvious question people have when it comes to the sovereignty of God? If God knows everything, and he's a loving God, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? And this is where people have to start being honest with themselves and recognize there are actually no good people. We have all been infected with sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. God is the standard for good. Notice Luke 18.9. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. See, God is perfect. And so in order to be good, one has to be perfect. Knowing this sort of helps us to understand God's sovereignty a little bit. He's chosen you to be a part of his salvation plan. And that means that you have a specific godly purpose. Notice Romans 12, 4-5. For as we have many members in one body, 
but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to this verse, there are many members in one body. For example, a human body has a head, it has arms, it has legs, it has a torso. Those members do not have the same function. Typically, people don't walk on their heads or think with their kneecaps. Each part of the body has a purpose. And those parts of the body did not choose their function. The leg did not say, I want to be a leg. It was chosen for that purpose. And it was supplied with the proper elements to fulfill its purpose. Bones, muscles, tendons, etc., we, being chosen by God to be Christians, are a part of one body, the body of Christ. And we have been given a purpose, a function that helps the body perform as it should. Question, what happens when parts of the body do not accept what they are? If your arm decides to be your head, then you're broken. And if a Christian does not accept that they have been chosen by God and set apart by God then there's a purpose that will not be fulfilled in the body of Christ. We may only be a Christian foot or a Christian leg, but until we embrace our identity as God's chosen people and that we have been set apart, we will never fulfill our purpose. And for those of you who are thinking to yourselves, what is my Christian purpose? What part of the body am I? Let me just share with you Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Notice, fear God and keep his commandments. When this happens, you are fulfilling your purpose. In addition, this may include teaching, preaching, church administration, and for all of us, it includes evangelism and sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, the one in whom we have been chosen. So we have been predestined to fulfill God's sovereign plan and special purpose in our lives. And this starts with us embracing our identity as chosen and set apart by God. We are not a part of this fallen world. Once we have Jesus, we are set apart from the world and are a part of God's family, which is the next point we're going to look at. Notice Ephesians 1, 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I read about a young woman who was trying to transition out of homelessness at 16. The child welfare agency told her that finding a foster home would be unlikely. In the province of Ontario, around a thousand teenagers age out of the foster care system every year without being placed in a foster family. Four years later, Cheyenne beat the odds when she was adopted by Shannon Coquine, 
the woman who'd been serving as her mentor. For years, Shannon and Cheyenne had kept in touch and celebrated several milestones together, including Cheyenne's high school graduation and her first powwow honoring her heritage. But it wasn't until Shannon applied to become a first-time foster parent that she began to wonder about formalizing their relationship. When asked if she had any other children, and she realized, I think maybe I do. Cheyenne has since legally added the Colkeen surname to hers and has court documents to prove that they are now legally related. That was the culmination of two years of process, which started when Shannon took Cheyenne on a long drive to make the ask. Shannon said, I don't want to put any pressure on her, but in the end, I sort of freaked her out because we were driving and I just kept driving further and further because I couldn't spit it out. It's like proposing, but for parenthood. (laughs) Adoption is the action of legally taking another child, another person's child, and bringing it up as one's own and bringing it up as your own. There's no distinction between the parent and the child from a legal sense. God has chosen us to be adopted as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's easy to understand the significance adoption has on someone like Cheyenne, someone who did not belong or did not have a family, and then finding someone who wants you, someone who loves you enough to make you a part of their family. This must have been very significant for her. And I want to look at a couple of things. First, the significance of adoption and its spiritual implications. And second, embracing our identity as children of God and heirs of his promises. Adoption is described in the Bible as the divine work wherein God declares regenerated believers to be his beloved sons and daughters, and he welcomes them into his eternal family. This type of situation is not unlike Cheyenne, And what she went through being added to a family that didn't start out as hers. However, as Christians, we have been added to God's eternal family, which is significantly different and carries very serious spiritual implications. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. One source stated that an adopted child of God has been brought into new community that is both spiritual and embodied in nature, established and empowered by the Spirit. Only as adopted children of God do we have favor with God. We are in a personal relationship with God. And this spirit of adoption permeates our experience. We have received forgiveness for sin. We have received the assurance of the Father's love, care, and compassion. And we have received freedom in place of slavery. We must embrace our identity as the children of God and heirs of his promises. Notice Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Circumspectly means to be prudent or to carefully consider all circumstances and possible consequences. As children of God, we have a responsibility to God to do our part to live out the Christian life as he wants. That means that we have to do our best to represent the family in a way that brings glory to God and not to ourselves. We should do our best to not fall back into the old ways of doing things, the sinful ways of bondage, because we have been set free. We should embrace our identity as children of God and heirs of his promises. Think about it this way. If you break the law and someone else pays your fine as Jesus did for you, then don't continue to break the law. That would be walking as fools. And not only that, but we need to recognize the days are evil. And we should redeem our time wisely. Meaning we should spend more time fulfilling God's purpose for our lives than we do pleasing ourselves with evil things. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters, which is very significant. And we need to embrace that this is who we are. And should you be the type of person that asks why? Why do we need to do any of that? I say good, because that'll bring us to our fourth and final verse for today, which reveals the purpose of God's will. Notice Ephesians 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. All that we have in and through Jesus Christ has been because of God's grace. This is something that we did not earn and that we do not deserve. This is something that God himself has done for us despite our rebellion. He's reached down into our sinful lives and intervened. He has made us accepted in the beloved. In Jesus Christ, we are his children. And there is no part of that transaction that involved us other than receiving that which we don't deserve. And it was the purpose of his will for us that we should have eternal life, that we should spend eternity with him. What do we do now? How can we repay him? And the answer is, is that we can respond to his grace with a life of obedience and holiness. Notice Romans 1.5. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And last week's sermon, we talked about apostleship and the 12 apostles being the capital A apostles and the others being the lowercase a apostles. And here we're talking about serving him as lowercase a apostles. Those that have received his grace, those that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior or their Lord and forgiver, and now have been called to be obedient to the faith among all nations for his sake. And the Bible has so much to say about obedience, and it's an essential part of our walk with Jesus. So much so that he himself demonstrated even unto death on the cross. Philippians 2.8 And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death 
of the cross. Jesus said that if we love him, we would obey him. In Luke 6, 46, he says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? God has blessed us beyond measure. He's given us eternal life despite our not deserving it. He's chosen us to be a part of his eternal family and adopted us as his sons and daughters. We can stand tall and confident and that we belong to God and we are heirs of his promises. And I want to encourage everybody here today to live in the light of these truths, to grow in obedience and holiness, to live our lives here on earth in a way that would please God and show our gratitude for all that he has done for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I read about a father's secret journal that said this. There was a man who was a good husband and dad. He loved his family faithfully, was always around, steady, took care of them. His influence, even if it wasn't realized, was central to everyone's life. But his family didn't fully appreciate the scope of his love until one day when they found his journal. Upon opening it, they could see the backstory of their memories. Their happy experiences were intricately planned and carefully executed. He even reflected on how glad he was that he gave his wife and children such joy. When they could see the backstory, they previous, the, these previously hidden details in the journal, the family was filled with a new kind of appreciation and love for their dad and husband. They were welcomed into the quiet place of intentional planning and loving execution. They could see how they were central to everything that he had done. Thumbing through the journal, they realized his love for them engulfed their entire experience. In Ephesians 1, it's as if the children of God are permitted to thumb through the journal of their Heavenly Father. Reading through it, we find out that the experiences that we enjoy so much were carefully and intricately planned. God has set his love on his people before the foundation of the world, and he carried it out in real time. What's more, these thoughtful, intricate, and loving plans gave our Father in heaven, you, for himself. He has blessed his children beyond understanding. He has blessed you, and he has blessed me beyond understanding. Let's pray. Holy Father God in heaven, thank you so much for all that you have done. It's so easy to just 
let the thoughts of you slip away in this crazy world as we are just consumed by media, consumed by worldly things. Seems like a, a nonstop battle. And sometimes it just seems like we kind of push you off to the side like you're just there when we need you. But after reading these passages, Lord, we know you've been there the whole time. You've always been there. You chose us to be a part of your family, Lord. And it's my prayer today that our hearts would be open to that fact and that we would live our lives in a way that would bring you glory. I pray, Father, over this congregation and all that we do moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.